Hello and welcome to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. I'm Sarah Pittendrig, a mum, award-winning entrepreneur, cancer survivor, mentor and coach. In series two of the podcast, we're sharing new stories along with the ethos that you are never too old and it's never too late to design a life you love. On this episode, I'm joined by novelist Georgina Moore. From being an award-winning book publicist with years of experience in the publishing industry, Georgina followed her dream to write fiction. Her novel, The Garnet Girls, was published in February 2023, set on the beautiful beaches of the Isle of Wight. The Garnet Girls is a powerful story of sisterhood and home. So let's get stuck in to hear more about Georgina, her work and her writing. But before we do, please do rate and subscribe to the podcast so I can share more stories like this on the Formidable Over 40 podcast. So welcome, Georgina, to Formidable Over 40. It's a joy to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. Oh, it's an absolute joy. So I've given a little bit of a, a hello about you to our listeners uh, mm-hmm. and viewers on YouTube, maybe. Would you tell them a little bit more about yourself, who you are and what you do? So for a long time, I've worked in publishing. I started off, just to give you a little background, I it was always books for me. Mm. I was one of those uh, nerdy readers back in the days when children weren't distracted by screens. <sighs> and I was just always reading. I used to scribble stories all the time in notebooks, the way you do mm. if you if you love stories. And I went to do my, I did my English degree. And after that, I sort of wrote these ridiculous letters, now I realised, to publishers saying, will you make me an editor? (laughs) Because I didn't really know about any other jobs in publishing. The boyfriend I had at the time said, oh, I was driving him mad. He said, you should go and work in a bookshop. So I went to work in a bookshop that in those days we had a book chain called Dylan's. Yes. In fact, in fact, we had a lot of book chains, but now of course we only have one high street bookseller. Mm -hmm. And it was on Chiswick High Road and I had the most fantastic time. And when I was there, I said to someone, I saw an event with an author and it was a kind of like party and they gave a reading and a chat. And I said to someone, I said, who does that? Who does all that? And they were like, well, that that's publicity. And I was like, it was like a light bulb Uh moment. You know, I was just like, that's the job for me about books, but also using my, I love being with people. Mm. I like events. I like parties. I like telling people about stuff. And that was it. I sort of went to work at Hodder and Stoughton and worked my way up to kind of being communications director, running a team. But there wasn't much time, as you can imagine, in a job like that for writing. Mm. I was, you know, traveling all over the country with authors, going in and out of festivals, doing quite a lot of celebrity books. I looked after Hillary Clinton for her memoir. Lauren Bacall, lots of big sports stars. So it was a fantastic job, but it didn't leave a lot of time. So I kind of was putting off something I guess I thought I would do when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Fantastic. We talk about being formidable over 40. And I share about the ethos of the podcast. It's about Mm. you're never too old and it's never too late to design a life you love. Mm. And you've pivoted in midlife into writing your novel and, Mm. you know, we'll come to that. But what do you think of when you think of a formidable over 40? what, What does that mean to you? Lots of things, I think. I have a, as I'm sure lots of us do, have um, some amazing girlfriends who really astonish me with what they're doing. Some of them putting together portfolio careers now, Mm -hmm. which it's just a wonderful, I think everyone wants to be more flexible, don't they, since COVID. I think COVID actually has many advantages for for women of a certain age, especially mums. I'm an older mum. I had them when I was sort of late 30s. Mm -hmm. It's been an incredible revolution to my life, really, that 
there is no longer so much this expectation that you would travel all the time and be commute and be in the office mm. and have to be physically seen to be doing your job. So it's changed a lot of things. So I think formidable over 40 for me is just seeing women adapt to the new opportunities that are, mm. finding things that they really love and making, like, like portfolio careers, putting together the elements of the jobs that they love mm. to actually make it something that they want and that they're good at. And also for me, it's this, you know, ability from the workplace, which I hope is happening. You do see it more and more Mm. that to understand that experience and wisdom and knowledge is so important and that there are women there that have it. And not only that, but the diplomacy skills. I mean, I remember, I don't know whether you were the same, but I wasn't very good in my 20s and 30s at playing the diplomacy no, game. No. <laughs> I I, I'd like to think I'm getting a bit better, but probably people listening to this have probably just spat the tea out. If I dare stay, say that I have, I do think I'm better. Please be kind to me. I'm not, I'm not quite as harsh as I was, but I definitely I'm didn't sure have you are. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things I always think that is a gate is a giveaway for being, for being younger in those very difficult situations. You can imagine in publishing, you get a lot of big meetings with mm-hmm. really big management agents and, and so on and talent, talent agents and it's that you get defensive when you're young you take it so personally you think that someone's having a real go at you Uh and I think now I I just feel oh I've seen it a lot of it before and I sort of rise above it and can keep the situation under control in a way I couldn't so I think formidable over 40 is you know just really for me about women being appreciated for what they can bring Mm. and for women understanding that they have a lot to offer and of course it's the menopause factor isn't it I mean that's a massive part Mm. of it it's been a massive change for me Mm. I like a lot of women I think found I suddenly was really anxious when when I hadn't when I hadn't been ever before in my life there I went off driving the car I didn't want to drive the car (sighs) this is Um, such a topic for you and I to chat about yeah get it it was so it was so weird and I'm Mm -hmm. and I think anyone who knows me and has known me through my career in publishing would think that anxious would be the last thing I would be but I was and I was leaving my keys in the door losing things Mm -hmm. and you know what it's like if you are doing running a lot of things like I run my children's lives as well, what games kit, what thing they're doing, and then your job, and now something else. If your brain isn't as sharp as it was, Mm -hmm. it drives you slightly mad. You think, oh my God. Because you think this, you do think there's actually what is going wrong. My my son competes horses and Mm. we've got a big 18 ton horse box and I've got my HGV. And I sat my um, HGV in my early thirties and I was really confident. I sat it with a load of men and I was, Mm. I think I was the only one who, out of all of the men, passed the test on that day. And Mm. I never, ever dreamed of losing my confidence. At 38, I was put into a chemical menopause and I never came out of it. I've been in the menopause since I was 38. Mm, And like you say there, the anxiety Mm. that came. And then all of a sudden, having panic attacks on the motorway driving the horse box. Why? No idea. Mm. I was really confident before. Mm. It's a strange thing, isn't it? And there's a lot to come to terms with, isn't there? There's a lot to come, not a change in midlife. A really good friend of mine, um, Sam Baker, has a a really good podcast too. I don't know whether you've listened to it called The Shift. Right. And she talks about that that change, the shift up a gear Mm. when you've come through the menopause, Mm. you know, that actually what women who come through it and maybe even find a way to deal with it, like I mean, I've started taking HRT and I'm not sure why I waited so long, Mm. to be honest, Mm. because it made an immediate difference to me, to my brain fog, Mm. to my anxiety 
team, all the mental stuff, it really did. But, I, you know, that there can be a shift up a gear back again. Mm. For me, that's, you know, it, it's kind of un- women. I think there is more understanding from the work Davina's, McCall's yes, done yeah. and everyone's done on the menopause. Yeah. There is more understanding of women that mm. we can ask for help. Yeah. We can ask for HRT. We can ask for ways of getting through that we're not sort of managing on our own and that we will come out the other side and that we can achieve great things yeah. still. We, it's not the end of our life. That is absolutely the whole ethos and message of this podcast formidable over 40. So the, through the decades to get us to where we are today, I always love to find out where my guests mm. were when they were 15. What were they doing? What were their dreams? What were their aspirations to, yeah. to where they are today? So what, what were you doing, Georgina, when you were sort of 15? What were your dreams and aspirations and hobbies? I mean, as I've said, it was all about, a lot about books. Yeah. I mean, I'd read, I read a lot I was, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I, I come from a family where a lot of concentration was on culture mm. and and stories and art and me having a good education. In in some ways, quite a pressurised environment in terms of school and education. So I suppose a lot of my life was wrapped up in that, in doing well in exams, what I was going to do for my A levels if I look back, but. Also, probably, I'm just trying to remember if that's when I was being a real nightmare. I don't think it was. I think that came a bit later. I think I was a bit of a late starter on the nightmare front. But yes, I think if I if I saw myself now, I'd certainly with everything with the Garnet Girls, mm. I'd be in, you know I'd be incredibly proud yeah. and probably a bit impressed. Yes. But yes, it, it's not the easy. I'm starting. It's funny, isn't it? It's one of the things about having kids later. Is as my hormones have all left, I've got a preteen Daisy whose hormones are coming in. Yes, it's a funny time, isn't it? Because it makes you think back more. I've been thinking back more to mm-hmm. how I was at her age and what. I just it really makes you realise how hard Gosh, it is yeah. at school at that age yeah. and the things that girls say to each other. Why do we do that? Yeah. Why do we do that? Awful, I don't understand it? that. Yeah. You know the little person personal picky things about appearance yeah. that that actually then that you go home and think about for days on end yeah. so I'm just going through that period with my daughter and it's been really reminding me mm. of I think I found it quite tough 15 16 I think that's quite a tough time yeah. for a girl isn't it that's why I, I it was yeah. it was I for me yeah. that's why I chose 15 because I found that quite a challenging mm. quite a challenging age and and I think thank goodness in in my time your time we didn't have mm social media we didn't oh have that God. pressure I mean hell what must it be like for well, you know you've yeah. got the daughter who was in that teenage yeah, yeah. I mean to have to live through that so bizarre isn't it mm-hmm. because I remember my father used to come and find me and I'd be hiding in some room <laughs> usually a spare room behind the bed mm-hmm. on the on the physical landline yes. with my friend and I'd have been talking for an hour yeah. well of course that doesn't happen no. anymore they don't have attention span for an hour long conversation no. and he'd go who's phone is this whose bill is this and I go oh it's me uh but I you know we didn't have to face the fact that we hadn't been invited to any parties oh exactly whereas whereas now you have to see who's doing what oh it's awful isn't it that that is one of the hardest things oh because I am terrible I'm such a grass is greener I'm such an envious person as well I I wish I wasn't Sarah I wish I wasn't affected but I'm always like I want to be doing that I want to be doing that I mean I find Instagram hard enough now yeah, I do. as a as a grown-up yeah I do I, I and I, I berate my husband I say look at these people <laughs> look what they're doing look where they are look where they're going yeah. why 
are we not doing anything? Yes, why exactly why are we sat here? Our time is precious. We can't waste it. Look at those people. <laughs> you and I sound very similar. <laughs> I do that. And J- J- uh, my partner, James, who's much more sensible and easygoing than me, always says, what about when we did this? Yeah, he's why I got always, that, yes. Uh, why are you always looking at other people and comparing yourself? So I do feel that I would have found that so hard yeah, as a teenager. I would have that. It, it would have been horrendous for me, knowing how insecure I was as a as a 15-year-old teenager, mm-hmm. feeling that life was a bit tough to start with and feeling bullied and so forth at school. I think to have seen or have to have yeah. played through that, probably feeling sat at home and feeling isolated, mm-hmm. I think that must have just been horrendous it was better just to sit at home and not know what they were doing like you said oh, you know, so much better the other thing I'm really glad about is that there was no social media during the early days of my publishing career because <laughs> <laughs> that's something we can all count our blessings for oh, there's no God. record of uh, the way I was carrying on because back you know back at the back in those days you know publishing was a whirlwind of sort of parties yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I'm very glad of that I escaped yeah, that. Escape the, the, the photos the videos the yeah. bloody stories and the TikTok oh my oh, god goodness. so let's chat about your publishing career then first because sure. obviously I want to get on about your book but let's talk yeah. about your career in publishing first you've, you've touched on some of the the authors who you've dealt with you know mm. and who you've worked with amazing you know you must have had come across some most fantastic people with fantastic stories to share and and, and mm. books to, to to write and publish and do what what highlights who, who who've been the highlights any any particular standouts I think probably one of the biggest highlights was Lauren Bacall. Any of your younger listeners might not know who Lauren Bacall is, but Lauren Bacall was a Hollywood great. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was a 40s film star, like 40s film stars, like you imagine they should be, with the the high-cut cheekbones, (laughs) the dusky, drawly voice. Um, And she was actually married to Humphrey Bogart. So she did a memoir and she was in her 80s when she was coming and I was told I was going to look after her. But not only was I told, but I had to go and be auditioned in Paris by her, which was absolutely terrifying. And she managed to make every line she said sound like a sort of terrible, kind of terribly brilliant line in a movie. And it was kind of a love-hate relationship right from the beginning because I was quite... I was able to cope with her, but I was quite cheeky and I wasn't going to just be stamped all over. Mm -hmm. And I was off later in life. I was often given more difficult authors because of that ability to just kind of, you know, not be stamped on. She just... I had to go and wake her up every morning in her in the suite of her hotel. And, you know, she was traveling without help and she was a legend, And she, but she was at 80. Yeah. And I'd have to get her little dog, Sophie, who she'd come with and walk her dog. <gasps> and she'd always have a little really, really cross message for some, for me to ring down reception at the hotel. And everyone on reception would give me really sympathetic looks as I came in in the morning. <laughs> and she'd say things to me like, where are my jewels? <laughs> So then I'd have to kind of go around looking for them. And, and it was, and then it's just to give you a short idea of the kind of things she came out with. I, when um, we'd done all this PR and she'd been on various TV shows and she'd been on Parkinson and, and I, we were in the green room and she was always fantastic when she would have a like little vodka on the rocks after something, let her hair down. And uh, she, I said something like, Oh, I'm going to jump off the cliff if we're not number one. <laughs> and she went, Can I watch? <laughs> So she wasn't offering you a parachute then? 
<laughs> no. It was kind of like that all the way. And she she was so brilliant because yeah. talk about being formidable over 40, oh unbelievable. God, yeah. And she got so cross with me because I was in a period, I must have been 30s, and I was in a period of wearing very, of course, post-COVID, I can't even remember how I did it, but I wore really high heels everywhere. <sighs> Didn't matter where I was going. And I was going through a fishnet. I think fishnets were in. And she was like, why are you always so fat? running around and she was so cross because I was running around in these heels really fast and she'd had to get her orthopedic shoes and she was just cross about that because she wanted to be wearing fabulous heels she was just someone who was never going to in spirit she was always going to be a young person so she was fantastic oh she sounds oh like my ideal woman definitely a woman to have a, a vodka or a gin with yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we've got to talk about the Garnet Girls. I am saving this for my holiday. I have not read it yet. I am taking oh, I it with like me. It. For the benefit of the listeners, will you tell us about it? Tell us all about I, it, how you came up with it, everything. Sure. As I'd, I've already told you, I probably thought I would write something and I didn't. I was busy. And then lockdown came and so many elements of my job just went out of the window, the traveling, the late nights. I'm not very good, Sarah, at being one of those people that goes to bed uh, early or leaves a party early. So that whole side of my life just disappeared overnight and I had a lot more time and I kind of felt it's now or never. Mm. And I also had the hell, like so many parents up and down the country, of doing online schooling, which was just the worst. And I, so I started to get up for the first time ever in my life, because I'm just not an early riser normally. I started to get up at 5 or 5.30, and I started to write The Garnet Girls, and it became this sole bit of the day that was just for me, mm. that was all about me and nothing to do with anyone else, and the whole house was asleep, and it was just lovely. Mm. And soon it came that if I got some words down, and I was happy with them. I was sort of bolstered for the rest of the day and what was ahead of me trying to do my job, trying to teach the children and all that. And I think what had triggered it was we have a houseboat in the Isle of Wight and it's been very much for the last 10, 11 years, our happy place where the children grew up on the beaches and we'd go there whenever we can. And it's sort of, it is our holiday place Mm. and and it's beautiful. And I'd seen a big house. They have these truly gorgeous old houses right on the sand, Mm. which obviously is a lot of people's dream to live in one of those. And I'd seen this family coming out of an old house on the beach, all going sailing together. And I'd kind of thought, I wonder, you know, wonder what it would be like to be that family living in such a close community. Because the thing is, I'm a Londoner, mm. born and bred. Mm. So I didn't have that. The only time I ever met my neighbours was when, you know, they were complaining because I'd had a noisy party <laughs> or something. So the, the close community side of the Isle of Wight, where you literally people wave to each other in cafes and you go on a dog walk and by the end of it, you've picked up 10 people along the way yeah, on the beach. Yeah. I found that fascinating because I realised that would be work that would be good for some people, but not good for other people uh-huh. in the family. Yeah. So that was kind of the point, the, the sort of point where the light bulb went on. And then I think back at home in lockdown, I just, we weren't going anywhere, were we? Mm-hmm. We, we no. I was sort of dreaming of the beaches. I couldn't get to the island. Mm-hmm. And I also, there's quite a few, as you'll see, quite a few parties. Mm-hmm. The Garnets love a party. Uh-huh. So I think I, I think I was living vicariously yeah. through the Garnets in lockdown. Yes. And a lot of people have kindly said that they feel that there's a sort of longing a feeling of longing in the book for the island, for the Isle of Wight. And in fact, someone has said that the Isle of Wight Tourist Board should use it 
I was just fascinated because I was a Londoner born and bred by this idea of community, a close Mm -hmm. community where everyone knows your name and where, you know, it's happened to me now because we know quite a few people now on the island where you go for a dog walk along Bembridge Beach and by the end of it, you sort of collected 10 people and loads of dogs and you're all chatting. It's so nice. But I wanted to explore about what it'd be like to grow up in that community and what it would mean for you, for some people, it would be something nice, but mm. for some people, it would be something maybe a bit claustrophobic yes. and restricting. Mm. Isolated, so, I, yes, exactly. So that was that was the trigger, the idea of where it all came from. Mm. And then in lockdown, as I said, I was just getting up early and getting it down before the day began, and I began to feel that some of the things that I'd heard authors say along the way of my career in in author talks and stuff were true and I'd always sort of slightly doubted them but it's things like authors always say in in those talks oh well you know the characters just go off and do their own thing and actually the characters became so real to me the three Mm. girls and and Margot the mum that they did sort of start to take I mean it's very much a character-led novel Mm. the plot lies in the characters that's the kind of novel I really like to read so I basically wrote what I really like to read but they did they started to become these characters in my mind and so then I got to the point where I was really really pleased to be back with them like they were friends yeah yeah that's lovely isn't it so being on the other side of the fence then what what's Mm. it like because obviously you've always been on the other side of the fence so which side do you prefer being on now then it's been quite strange Mm. and it's it I'm not sure you know it's only the book's only been out five weeks or something so I'm not sure I I you know have really taken you know taken it all on board it's been a whirlwind we've I got we got onto the Sunday Times bestseller list it's had wonderful response everyone's been so generous with quotes and reviews I've done a lot of events and I've loved it I think that you know, I couldn't make a judgment now on being a writer because I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, I have also worked hard, but I I have been incredibly lucky with the way my first novel's gone. It doesn't Mm. always happen that way. I need to take a few knocks and have a bit more experience Mm. under my belt to say what life as a writer is really like. But yeah, I have to say I've loved every minute. Did you do a two book deal? Have you got another book coming on then? Yeah, but you can imagine how hard that is now yeah. because we're not in lockdown. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and I'm still doing the day job. I still, you know, I'm still at Midas doing PR. I look after Maggie O'Farrell's PR. Um, I work on lots of arts accounts. So I think I'm going to have to rediscover the joy of the early morning. I might have to restrict my social life for a while. <laughs> oh, dear me. Can you, can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> might have to. <laughs> and... Doing that and, you you know, sort of pivoting and taking that leap, if you like, to the other mm. side. How did you feel about that? Did you have any wobbles in terms of confidence? You know, uh, oh, yeah. many of our listeners are often held back by, you know, the yeah. self-limiting beliefs. And they say, oh, and then, but once they've done it, they say, oh, I wish I'd done it years ago. Yeah, similar to what we were saying about anxiety with the menopause. Yeah. One of, one of the factors of me finally going and and getting a referral for HRT was that I realised there was so much good stuff happening with the book, but I wasn't able to enjoy it because of the anxiety around it. And I just, that was one of the tipping points actually for me, because I just thought this is ridiculous. This is like a lifelong dream. It's dreamy what's happening. You need to be able to enjoy it without doubting yourself at every step of the way. So that was a big element. I think what was really hard is, you know, people will rightly think that I had advantages 
pages, which I did as someone who knows lots of people in publishing. I knew authors to go to for quotes. I knew who the agents were, but it it was also, there was also a stress involved in that because of course, when you're putting yourself out for out there and you're a public figure in publishing and everyone knows you, Mm. you can't do a dud job. I mean, it would just be way too embarrassing (laughs) for for starters. Mm. So my agent, Kath, was brilliant because I said to her when I sent her the draft of The Garnet Girls, I said, I'd really like to work with someone on it in Curtis mm. Brown before we send it out to publishers because mm. I don't want us to just rush it out. Yeah. And so I did a lot of work on it. And when it did go out, I was really proud of it. Yeah. And I knew, I knew it was in tight shape compared to how, and, and so I felt okay. It didn't mean, though, that I wasn't completely like, an, an author who I revere, like Patrick Gale, who I'm really good friends with, you know, mm. waiting to hear what he thought, mm. just was like sitting there. Ah. But mm. as a few of those nice responses came in, and I knew they were genuine, that's the other thing, because I've worked in the industry a lot, I, I would know when people were lying to me as well. Yes. That's mm-hmm. It's quite easy to tell. After a few of those came in, I began to relax a little bit, but I don't think I've ever really properly relaxed actually no. about mm-hmm. it. But then I don't think that's a bad thing because you know you have to keep on working hard yeah. and being grateful for what you've got and not expecting everything to fall in your fall in your lap. I think yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I still get I still you know if someone writes something about they didn't like one of my characters or something, I find it really hard. And quite a few people have been quite tough with me, really good friends, and just said you're going to have to rise above it because the yeah. more people who read it, well, the more yeah. you get different reactions so I've got to get I'm gonna have to toughen up about that I can resonate with that I I co-wrote my memoir with Eleanor Mills and oh I love Eleanor Mills yeah I mean this is how I knew about you through Eleanor Mills oh was it right well um so we co-wrote my book the I can yeah which is my memoir and then the the strategy breakthrough and it was oh god it's such an emotional, personal thing writing a book. And yeah. and it is that, what will they think? And, you know, at the minute, it's just about to go out on like a publicity PR sort of stunt, you know, for, yeah. for people to go out and read it and give us more feedback and do. And I'm just dreading, I'm just dreading it. I'm thinking, oh, what are they going to say? Because at the moment I'm in a real comfort zone where everyone's yeah. very, very gentle and I've got lots of lovely five-star reviews on Amazon. Yeah. And people are sending me lovely messages and everything. But it's now mm. out to the wider community. Yeah, like, yeah. In a way, it, it, it's part of the success of something, isn't it? Because if you think about it, you want to sell it, you want as many people to read it but as it goes wider as the audience goes wider inevitably you're going to come out of your five-star comfort zone because you're going to people and also I think it's quite hard with anyone who's writing a debut because you don't have an audience who know what to expect no Mm-hmm. You have an audience who, and you might, and they might be an audience who've been misled to a book, you know, mm-hmm. so you might pick up the Garnet Girls, for example, and think it's a nice, gentle saga. Yeah. It's a very pretty jacket. I actually think the jacket does a brilliant job of hinting at darker things because yeah. they're facing away and yes. you've got, but, but you might come to it thinking that and then realise that it's quite punchy. You know, the characters are very flawed. Yeah. There's quite a lot of sex. There's, you know, it, yeah. there's hard life knocks that happen to those girls from alcoholism to marriages ending to 
you know, cancer to, I mean, it's just, it, you know, just being my storyline in my book, we've got cancer, we've got adversity. We've got- just think it's life, isn't it? It's just life. <laughs> it is. I, I, I feel really strongly that, you know, there can be this snobbery around commercial fiction in yeah. publishing. And I feel really strongly. I think well, I was lucky enough. Someone said to me that they thought the Garnet Girls was escapist, mm. but not sentimental. Mm. And you know, when you're just starting out, you don't really have a clue what kind of writer you're going to be. But I thought, oh, I like that, and okay. I sort of pin—I pinned it to my board because you can write escapism, you can write glamour, and the Garnet Girls are quite glamorous. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're not dealing with real issues and and you know heartbreak and so on. Yeah. And so I really hope that I've kind of got the balance between that in the Garnet Girls. Mm. And I, you know, people say, oh, you happy to be called a family saga yes mm-hmm. ha- absolutely thrilled want to tell as many as possible and hear from readers and I think it's quite interesting that but yeah debuts and you pushing yourself out there that's very hard mm-hmm. especially when it's memoirish isn't mm-hmm. it as well that's really hard it was very hard but I definitely didn't want I knew I didn't want to do a self-help book that was just mm-hmm. not what I wanted but by sharing the memoir yeah. there's been something big through every decade it was to inspire people to read it and go, oh, that resonates with me. And then how did she get out of that then? Because that's where I am at the minute. And then mm. in the back of the book, that's where we've got, you know, the breakthrough strategy. In the book, you talk about, you know, real life problems and mm. you know, there is adversity in, in everyday life. I don't believe yeah. anybody, no matter what social media tries to tell you, that they live in this perfect bloody life. I think. No, bloody wow. no. In terms of adversity, mm. would you say that there's been any point in your life where you would say you've felt adversity and you've had to really sort of pull yourself up and push yourself through it oh yeah I mean without a doubt lots of things really lots of things heartbreak leaving relationships tough someone very close to me being ill I've had been through cancer with a couple of people very close to me so yes I you know a a lot of adversity and I think what surprised me is I, I try to be quite, I mean, I, I certainly was before the menopause or bit quite an optimistic person. But I think the combination of going through some stuff, seeing people ill mm. and the menopause, it's almost like a veil is lifted and mm. you see the world in a much more sort of doomful way mm. that I think I feel much more that life is very short, that illness and I mean I'm sure you're the same but so many friends and are going through stuff yeah seems like I hear a different story every day particularly about the dreaded c word and of course you know we shouldn't call it the dreaded c word actually because I know so many people live with it and cope yeah. with it and and there are advances every day aren't they yeah. in, many, in many ways yeah. but um it's just that's how, how it feels sometimes yeah. but yes and so I think I do, I struggle sometimes not to feel that, you know, that bad things are coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think anyone with a sort of who likes writing and an imagination that does and who's been through hard times can feel like that, can't they? Yeah. And I don't know whether you do this, but 
you know, I'm having a run of really good things happening at the moment. Whenever that happens to me, I tend to be that terrible and start going, oh, God, what does this mean? What's the exchange? It's mostly because I'm Libran and I'm balancing everything up. You know, am I? And I I think I'm. Oh, no, Scorpio. My daughter's Scorpio. I think I'm very emotional and highly charged. If I have a run of good, I'm like, oh, God. That's how I'm feeling at the moment. I'm feeling like, how could it have gone so well? What's around the corner? But. I think every people do that, don't they? I think yeah. that's just human it's nature. Normal. I think it is normal, and we are a bit conditioned, probably through experience. It's probably through experience that we uh, we had a really good run of luck, and then something also good things happen, and then sometimes some bad things do happen. So it's probably just reality because it is reality. Uh, isn't it? I mean, we can't just have a run of good luck. You know, it's just it's just not possible in in our everyday. You know, what they say the rough with the smooth, don't they? Yeah, I, I, and I do think that in settling down quite recently and, and getting the book written and stuff, I, you know, there was a little sense of time's wing chariot at my shoulder and just, you know, also, you know, moving to maybe a different stage. I mean, stage in my life down the line ahead of me making a plan. I think it's really important. You know, when I was in publishing in quite a corporate, you know, company with a, with a big directorship on the board and stuff, I had a plan B because you know, the rea- the harsh reality for women in the workplace is that when you get to a certain age, often your employers have a plan for you and it's yeah. not the plan you want. You want. Mm-hmm. So I, I think have, uh, my advice, if you were asking me my advice mm-hmm. t- through adversity and through this age, and I'm, I've just turned, turned 50, mm-hmm. is to have, you know, to have a plan B always up your sleeve yeah. and just be I'm always amazed. I don't know whether you are, but I'm always amazed that people aren't more aware of what's going on around them. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, just have a sense. Yeah. Blinkers on. Just have a sense of read the room Mm -hmm. is my, you know, and and what way is everything going and get out before you're pushed out and have a plan. And then maybe go and make something, as I said earlier about the portfolio career or Mm -hmm. find something with flexibility that will really enhance your life rather than, you know, I think that's so important. So, I mean, I tend to be one of those people that once I've decided to do something, mm. I'm quite kind of like, I go for it. But as you know, you talked earlier about getting to that point, mm. getting to the I can point. Yes. It's very hard for some people, isn't it? Yeah. It, it can is. be really hard to get there. It is because they've created this formative pattern, which is very mm. hard to break, you know, and sometimes yeah. they've done it right the way through the decades. And mm. I think then, I, I mentor a lot of female entrepreneurs and female founders who are midlife. It seems that 50 is a real wake-up call, traveling oh, towards 50 with many of them. It's like mm. they've, been, they've gone along and, and put up, let's say, put up with whatever the, the width is. Yeah. And they're kind of heading towards this 50 pretty fast, and then they're suddenly thinking, shit, I might have more years behind me than in front of me here. Mm. Do I really want to feel like this for the – for the next stage, you know, and it's, mm. this is where this wake up call comes mm. in. And I think it's the need to make that shift. And I suppose what I'm trying to say to them is that you're never too old. You know, it's never too old. I, I, had, I had people yesterday mm. on my podcast who I was interviewing. One lady had, had gone on and done a degree in, a, in her 40s. Another mm. lady done an MA. And, you know, you're never too old to change. No. It's just making sure that you've, you've you're in the right place supported by the right people very very true and I think the other thing is 
I mean, one of the reasons I feel it's so important for me to keep challenging myself and doing new things is I had I had my kids at 38, 39. So mm. I now have an 11 and 12 year old. Mm. I have to, you know, stay young. I have to know what's going on on social media. I have to be aware of fashion. I have to know, you know, otherwise I'm, you know, I'm just not in it with them. I can't understand what they're going through. And so I have to be in the world. I can't, you know, hide away from it. And I have to stay current and I have to keep challenging my brain to stay alert and to grow. Otherwise I'm not going to be the, you know, a good mum for them. So I'm really aware of that as part of it. And I think that, I think it's been proved. I think now I read some brilliant scientific facts. Probably you've used it in your book about mm. how, you know, it, when you're trying to stave off things like dementia and Alzheimer's mm. and all all the things that we worry about, you know, doing new things, meeting new people. Apparently, mm. it's all to do with the synapses. My friend was telling me today that if you, you know, it's a real red flag for dementia and, and Alzheimer's if you're not challenging yourself to, all the time to go out and meet new people and do yeah. new things and read new things, yes. listen to new things. Apparently, that is you go into the danger zone if you don't do that, yeah. and that makes sense. To me doesn't it make sense to you you yeah stimulation you need that that creativity that innovation that energy Mm, and i think you know i'm 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 hearing a lot of that uh, people are feeling very lonely especially Mm. the female founders and women women in business because Mm. you know the, the working the way people work's changed so very much and so you've got some people who are now working from home and you've got hybrid working and then you've got founders who are so burnt out because they've been juggling the last two, three years, you know, and, and just trying to navigate through all of this, whatever this has been, you know, mm. and absolutely shattered and lonely and not knowing where to go and where who to turn to. And I think that's really important when, you, when you're in midlife. It's about having someone to talk to and, and somebody who understands mm. because not everybody does. Um, yeah, I think that's very true, you know, very true. It's, it's about surrounding yourself with radiators and not drains but that's easier said than done because you've got to hunt these people out and I definitely think being this is why I love doing my podcast because you Mm. know I meet people like you and like-minded women who are who are doing great things and the you know you're ambitious you you've got that energy and that vibe still and that's why I want people to listen to this podcast because if Mm. they are feeling lonely and if they are feeling isolated Mm. more inspiration from these conversations you know, and realize that you're just never too old. It is, it is doable, whatever that do is, you know, stay stuck. Nothing's going to happen if you're not going to prepare to, to feel a little bit uncomfortable, you know. If you think back, I think I said this on my WhatsApp group with my fabulous girlfriends. I said, you know, if you look back, you know, whenever it was 40s, 50s, you know, women over 40 just gave up. Yes. Mm-hmm. They sat in the corner of the kitchen. They started wearing those weird smocks. Yes, they did. Didn't they? Knitting, crocheting. Yeah. Let themselves just for, overnight just uh-huh. stopped worrying about their nails, their hair, their, you know, everything. I mean, Prince, if they were lucky. Exactly. And it, it's just amazing, actually, because I, so I, I said to my girlfriend, one was going off to sort of run a seminar. I was doing a podcast. I said, we're not doing badly. If you think, if we look back and compare to what was happening, it was just, you were, I know we do talk about being um, invisible, but that is often, ref- that's in reference to men, isn't it? Yeah. But we're not invisible, you know, and that, you know, never mind them. Yeah. And we're not invisible to each other. And back in those days of the smocks and the knitting, a woman was invisible to everyone. Everybody. Over. 
Yeah. People probably even just would come into the kitchen, start a conversation and completely ignore because you wouldn't have any opinions because you hadn't gone anywhere. Yeah. No, no. It's so true. Goodness, like you say, if you look at what we're doing now to I look at what my great granny or my granny would, would be doing oh. at my age, 50 was old. It was old. What, what was your great granny doing at 50? Oh, I would imagine my great granny at 50, she would be... She'd be cooking, running the home, running the family yeah. and, and the village. She lived in a village, you know, village community. Yeah. So she was in the Women's Institute, the WMI, yeah. the church, choir, the church, you know, yeah. all of those sort of the things. The community. That was, her, that was her thing, really. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? We would never have careers, really, like aspiring to take on a second career in her 50s. No, but you know what I'm not sure about is why do we all still have to do all the domestic stuff as well? well <laughs> they will not go there because that could be a whole new. I know new I won't talk about that. That could be could be directed right. No, at I'm the- I'm really lucky with my partner. He um, the father of my children. We're not married, but yeah. he. Um, he does all the washing. And, yeah. Well, you know. I, 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 to be honest with you, I, I, Eleanor and I were having this conversation yeah. um, last week. Was it last week or the week before when I was in London? We did a panel mm-hmm. for International Women's Day and we were just saying how important it is to have this support network, yeah. you know, when you're running businesses, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter which side of the fence it is, whether it's your husband doing it or you doing it, mm-hmm. but if you're going to be the breadwinner, you've got to have mm-hmm. a really good, mm-hmm. strong support network at home. And I'm lucky as well. My husband does all the washing and like, last night I didn't finish mm-hmm. the work late and dinner was made you know and it, that is important mm. as well and I think you know that's something important for women listening to this if they're saying they haven't got time mm. pardon the pun they need to get the house in order you know I agree and if people aren't stepping up why there's a lot of time of, I mean I'm not I'm not entirely sure when people say well, there's not enough time what people are doing with their time that's exactly it what are you I doing mean, with time yeah the stage I'm at now is I often get to 10 or whatever and fall into bed and I'm literally <laughs> out like a light for yeah. six hours or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted, yeah. but I'm, you know, I guess I'm using every moment of my time. Yeah. Cramming everything in. I mean, I, I am I, trying. I, I mean, I still managed to cram. Well, I didn't yesterday cause I was on podcasts all day, but most of the time I still managed to get in a really good three mile dog walk. And if oh. I can get to ride my Oh, we haven't talked about dogs. I what know. dog have you got? So we've got um, a Dalmatian and a Lurcher. Oh, lovely. And now, did I see Bomber at Border yes. Terrier? Yeah, I've got a Border Terrier Bomber. He's here yeah. now, actually, oh, sleeping. But yeah, he's wonderful. And I love a dog walk. Yeah. I like, that's my favourite thing. To, walking yes. him on the Isle of Wight beaches is oh, wonderful. Yeah. But he's great because he's always pleased to see me and uh, yes. it doesn't shout at me like some other members of the house. Yes. he's And, and he's sometimes my favourite child, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I think my, my dogs can be my favourite humans very often. Somebody said to me, I was a guest on a podcast the other day, or the way yeah. around, and they said, what do you prefer? Do you prefer animals or humans? I said, well, hmm. I said, I I can say that animals haven't let me down as much as humans. So I said, it's a a fine line. It is a fine line. Yeah, they're never going to let you down, are they? No, they're just so grateful. And when I get home, they will be so happy to see me. They'll be wagging their tail where other people might be saying, oh, what's the day? Brilliant. So we're coming to the end of this interview. I've so enjoyed it. Um, and thank, thank you, you ever so much for your time. I always ask my guests if they would be very generous to pay forward some advice. So if we've got a midlife male, woman, um, and they're sort of thinking, God, now I've listened to that interview. I really do want to try and create this 
reinvent myself for want of a better word, you know, break free, get unstuck, mm. get away from this crossroads. What would you, what piece of advice would you give, give to them as the, as the, the first thing that they need to do? I guess they just, ha- you know, one of the things they have to do is believe it can happen. And also maybe if it's, I mean, I was lucky well, I don't suppose it's luck, actually, because I've just probably that's the way I've crafted the the way my path has gone. But I was moving into something that a world I really knew. And that wasn't always great because sometimes it held me back a little bit because I knew how difficult it was and mm. how competitive and so on. I would say do your research, whatever you're about to move in. Mm. You know, it's obviously going to make a lot more sense and be easier for you if there is some already existing yeah. link like, you know, you taking, you know, or taking something that's happened to you and turning it into a strength, like you yeah. taking the memoir elements of your yeah. life, yeah. adversity and making something positive out of it. Yeah. I think as well, doing your research, you know, I remember sitting down with someone, a friend and, and talking about plan B or plan C, whatever mm. you've got to stage in life and having a strategy and really thinking about your life as as you would with your business brain. Mm. You know, yeah. some people don't do that, do they? Just really think think if I was you know strategist planning out my next move here what what would I do and what would I research and who would I approach and get advice Mm -hmm. get advice I mean get I you know I I'm so lucky in that I know some of the really talented marketers and publicists in the business Mm. and when I don't want to moan on to my own poor family or talk talk about what we were just talking about people being mean about you on reviews or whatever I have people I can go to who can give me good solid sound advice I think it's finding the people in your life as well what did you call them they're not energy zappers they're the opposite the people who drains you want to be mediators Mm. yeah I have this um, brilliant friend Casey who's friends with Eleanor Mills which is why I know about your podcast. Yeah, she's a joy. So she's, um, yeah, Katie Bond. Yeah. She's 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 been a pub. She was like she employed me actually in yeah. publishing. Yeah, and she's just such a play it forward woman. She's absolutely brilliant. But she is the kind of person. So I'm, you know, I was discussing about you know how do I balance this next stage of my life with her between yeah. my job and wanting to be an author and yeah. and she was just brilliant because she was kind of like she was refusing to see that there were any obstacles in yes. my way for having what I want. And, yeah. and, and you need people like that in yeah. your life mm-hmm. who give you that kind of bolstering can do attitude. Yeah. And you yeah. said it, didn't you? You yeah. said friends, friends yeah. who have the right mm-hmm. energy. That's what you need. Are necessary at this stage. Yeah. If you're going to do something yeah. out there yeah. and also with my, my lot probably think as well they like to squash me quite a lot when I get too full of it <laughs> <laughs> they're also really good at that right we've heard enough out of you now shush shush right yeah just be quiet yeah, so I, think that, <laughs> I think that's very important too that you have people real making you realize that you're being a nightmare but yes, I so I think energy around you mm. can do. I love your thing about get your house in order. I think that's yes. brilliant. Yeah. You know, make sure you've got support at home. Quite a few whingy. I've got a lot. I've been so lucky. I've been invited to all the kind of, you know, the festivals that yeah. go through the year. Mm. And I don't want to say no to any of them. Mm. But I'm also aware I've got a family home and a lot of them are at weekends. Uh-huh. So I just had to make sure that I'm taking the family with me on this journey. Yes that they're happy about it and that they're behind me and that they treat it. Because I think sometimes with something like writing, you probably come across this. People think it's just a nice little thing you go off and do to hide away from people. 
But actually, if you're making it into your career, people have to sort of take it seriously mm. as a job mm. and not go, well, it's just your writing. You did it in your spare time. No. So you have to carry people with you, I think, on your yeah. next stage and make sure they're all behind you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely... That so- wasn't one piece of advice. It was fabulous advice. It was absolutely fabulous. It was exactly what I wanted. So all I can do, Georgina, is thank you so much for giving up the time. Thank so you. I know you're incredibly busy. Wish you continued success with your fabulous book. For people on YouTube, this is The Garnet Girls. Where can people who want to buy this and learn more about you find out and buy so i love independent bookshops and there are lots of independent bookshops who will have it it's also in waterstones it's in sainsbury's right it's a good price in sainsbury's Mm -hmm. it's a good price on amazon it's been brilliantly supported by uh, bookshops and booksellers. I'm very, very lucky. So hopefully not too hard to find. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, all I can do is thank you for listening to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. Thank you so much to the brilliant Georgina for joining us. Head to the show notes to find links to connect with Georgina and get yourself her book. Follow the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please do subscribe, rate and share Formidable Over 40 with anyone you think will enjoy it or need needs to hear it. Thank you ever so much. Thank you.